your customers dictate what your menu is going to look like. You know, the chef could come out with something that's totally awesome, but the customers hate it. Well, you're not going to keep it on, on the menu if that's the case. Right. And you're constantly tweaking things and changing things here and there. And, and even my wife will make something uh, for dinner and she'll say, OK, should we keep that on the menu? Yeah. And so then it's on the menu. So then if we have something in practice that we like and we try something new, should we keep that in the practice routine? Yeah. OK. Do we need to tweak? Do we need to add some different ingredients here and there? Yeah, we can we can change up a little bit of what we're doing with this drill or or this situation or competition or what have you. And and away we go. We kind of just try to get better and better each time. You need to think that you are the best player in the world at that moment. And if you don't think that, that's when you're going to start to struggle. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the High School Coaches Club. I'm your host, Max Price. We just wrapped up our first official week of the season. In fact, uh, while you're listening to this, we might even be practicing if you're listening to it the day it came out. So not only am I super excited about bringing you another awesome guest on this show here today, but I'm excited to implement some of his ideas immediately into our program this spring. Can't thank you enough for joining me on this journey of improvement. Huge thank you to Will Miner and the gang over at Netting Pros. They've powered the High School Coaches Club for years now. And if you need any facility improvements, make Netting Pros your first call. Not only will they help you design it, but they'll do it all custom for you. From the fabrication to the installation, they've got you covered for netting, digital graphic wall padding, turf, turf protectors, cubbies, windscreen, ball carts, you name it. They crush the baseball and softball world on a daily basis, but they also get after it in football, soccer, lacrosse, track and field, golf courses, and just about any sport you can imagine. They're truly making facilities better all across America, providing high-quality products and services for facilities, fields, courses, and stadiums throughout the country, not only at the high school level, but for recreational, collegiate, and professional sports as well. You can contact them today by calling 844-620-2707, emailing info at nettingpros.com, visiting their website, nettingpros.com, or by checking them out on Twitter. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn for all their latest products and projects. Netting Pros, they're improving programs one facility at a time. In this episode, I'm joined by Ryan Hamilton. He's the head baseball coach at Carlmont High School in Belmont, California, where he's currently a few weeks into his third season at the helm there. Like some other guests we've been fortunate enough to have, Ryan offers a unique path into the coaching world, and his day job provides him with a cool lens with which he's able to view baseball. Someone needs to get him on a baseball-only podcast, though. I'm telling you, if you run one, grab him now, because he has some amazing ideas that could really help a lot of baseball programs. But since we have guests of all coaching categories, we really only brush the surface on those subjects. So you're going to like this, dude. Let's do it. Let's dive in. It's episode 81 with Ryan Hamilton. All right, I'm joined by Ryan Hamilton. Ryan, thanks for being here with me. Thanks for having me, Max. Glad to have you here. I, correct me if I'm wrong, but on your uh, Twitter page, uh, did I see you guys raise uh, raise sixteen thousand dollars selling Christmas trees? Yeah, we uh, that was our record. We, this is our third year doing it. Um, we raised about seven k each year the first two, two first two years, um, but this year we uh, did it a little bit differently and kind of just exploded. So, if anyone wants to wants to get get in on it, just let me know. It's crazy. We up here, you know, in Oregon, there's uh, every everywhere you go, there's tree lots all over the place, and you can drive out to the country about ten minutes away and cut down your own trees and stuff. And so, yeah. I've always thought about doing a Christmas tree fundraiser, but I'm not sure how how well it would work right here. Yeah, that's true. We we get our trees from Oregon, so uh, yeah, 
your your overhead would probably be lower at least yeah yeah probably that's true (laughs) Uh, that's awesome that's a good fundraiser i'm always interested to hear what programs do because you know obviously especially for baseball uh, the money is is so valuable in, in terms of just how much an individual baseball costs, and then you get into dirt and <laughs> screens and replacing nets. There's just so much that goes into it. Yeah, it adds up really fast. And when I let my parents know how much we raise and where all the money was going, I think they saw how much everything costs because right after I sent that out, I actually got a few more donations from parents. Oh, we'll give you this, we'll give you that. So even just doing that and keeping the communication open, they start to understand like, Oh, this stuff does cost a lot of money every single year. Do you remember fundraisers you did when you were in high school for baseball? Yeah, they were terrible. So it was, (laughs) we did, uh, the cards, uh, like the coupon cards. Uh Um, you just walked to everybody's house and your parents and grandparents would buy one and everyone would be upset because that you'd never use the coupons. Never. We would do um, like Jamba Juice cards. I remember doing yeah. that. <laughs> and then the only other thing would be basically on the first parents meeting, the coach would ask for money. <laughs> like, can every family pay like 200 bucks? That was that was all we ever did. That's hilarious. I mean, for some people, they'd probably rather do that than go around trying to sell Jamba cards. Oh, yeah. just be like, Dude, just, just take 200 bucks and don't ask me anymore. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Oh, man. So what was high school like for you? Where'd you go? Uh, what sports did you play? I went to Aragon High School, which is in San Mateo, California. And I played football and baseball every single year. And uh, was definitely more of a baseball player than a, than a football player, but um, definitely had fun playing football as well. And from there, you you end up going to college. I know we had kind of off air looked at the idea of how you probably could have gone and played college baseball, but decided not to. What was that process like for you? Yeah, I kind of had a weird um, process of that. So I was recruited um, to go play D3 NAIA. Actually, a couple schools in Oregon um, recruited me, Washington, and and uh, had a couple local NAIA and, and some out in the East Coast. And my grades were really good. And my SAT and ACT and all that were really good. And, and I kind of had to make that decision on if I was going to go and play at a four year and try to go to basically a liberal arts school for the most part, or, or go to uh, one of the California UCs that I got into. And uh, it wasn't an easy decision by any means, but I made the made the call to go to UC Santa Barbara, and I was not good enough to play on the D1 team, but I kind of kept in the game, kept playing um, on the club team there and played uh, semi-pro locally um, in the summers, which was a lot of fun. That's one of the things that I think for people who may not be familiar with, there's <laughs> a lot of the Division One schools have club teams that could probably go and beat a lot of D3, D2, NAIA teams. Like there's some really talented people who, you know, for whatever reason decide not to play or, or whatever. And they, they want to go to a school kind of like you did, but then they end up still wanting to, you know, play baseball. And so they do the club thing and it can be incredibly competitive. Yeah. Our team was stacked every single year. And we had, we had a guy, every a different guy every year throwing 90 miles an hour on our team. <laughs> and so my senior year, when I was a player coach and I was the head coach of the team, we actually played Cal Lutheran, which is 
D3 team and they were top 25 and we went out and beat them and and they didn't it wasn't like they were starting all their you know scrubs or backups or anything they they played their starters against us and we played our starters and we were getting ready for the club baseball world series which is why we were playing them and uh we went out and and showed out so that was that was kind of cool to to be able to do that and and say that hey we beat you know a top 25 team at the time so that was that was fun. As you were doing that, did you know that like coaching high school baseball was on the horizon for you? I did. I I got a call. I think it was it was during the winter of my senior year at mm. at Santa Barbara from my old uh, JV coach, um, who was actually the current varsity coach at that time, and he called me and said, "I hear you're you're coaching." Um, at UCSB, do you want to coach? Do you want to be the head coach of the JV team when you graduate? And I basically told him right then and there, yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> and so I knew once I was done, I was going to be moving back home, get a job, and uh, and be coaching out there too. So you did that for for a handful of years, and then as every high school baseball coach does, you became a sports chiropractor and then right. still coached baseball. So I've had, I've had some pretty unique guests and, you know, different, different backgrounds and stuff. Like obviously the most common one is somebody who teaches and coaches like that's an obvious dub, but yeah. um, this is a new one. So sports chiropractor and coaching high school baseball. Yeah. So I was a personal trainer when I moved back home and did that for about a year and change. And I was coaching while I was doing that. Then I got into chiropractic school and it was just maybe 20 minutes away from, from the school that I was coaching at. So I was actually able to coach the same time that I was going to school. And so I did that the entire time I was in school. So that was three years. And after I, I graduated, that's when I moved and started my practice out in the East Coast, took a little time off, and then moved back two years later. And as I was a sports chiropractor, I coached again. So I've been doing that for the last four years. What's that been like in terms of hours? I know we've had assistant coaches and, and a few other people that that aren't teachers. Um, and I know from a, just finding like other coaches standpoint, it can be really hard to find people who have like, quote unquote, real jobs because the hours are so bizarre for coaching high school sports. So what's that process like? What was that like for you as you're trying to navigate like being a chiropractor, but then also like being a head baseball coach at the same time? Yeah, well, what's interesting is when I was in the East coast when I was, I was in Boston and I worked for somebody. So I didn't own my own business mm -hmm. and I didn't really have any authority over what my hours were. And so for those two years, I couldn't coach. And after a year, I, I really missed it. I kind of helped out a little bit, but wasn't like on a staff or anything. And when I moved back to the Bay area, I started my own practice with my wife and then I could, pick and choose what my hours were going to be. I knew I was going to be going back into coaching. So I figured, okay, I'll work mornings into early afternoon. And so there's kind of a, a good and bad with it. Like I right now, like Wednesday is my late day and that's my busiest day of the week until six o'clock because I don't need to be at Carmont until 
or I don't need to be at Carmon on, on Wednesdays right now. And I know once the season starts, that's going to end. And so you kind of have to, I, I lose money by, by coaching. Um, but I am able to kind of set up my hours in ways that makes it work for me, but it's, it does, it does hurt the, the bank account, but it's, it, it's what I enjoy doing. So makes it worth you, it. You're, you're saying that the money that you make as the head baseball coach isn't quite supplementing the amount you're losing. <laughs> right. Right. How about that? <laughs> yeah. Who would have thought that's crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. So you, um, so you're, you're entering year three at Carl Mott. Is that right? Yeah. Entering year three. So you, you then I guess would have taken over kind of during that bizarre COVID year. What was the timeline on that for you? I think I got hired in, uh, it was either July or August of 2020, I believe. Mm -hmm. And kind of went in not really knowing what we were going to be allowed to do at all. Right. And didn't know when we're going to, if we're going to have a season, what it was going to look like, all that. And so everything was kind of being figured out as we were going, as, as you're well aware of. And California was very restrictive and we were allowed to basically meet with the players in the fall. And, and just in general too, California is very restrictive in the fall. Like we're not really allowed to do much of anything even now. Um, But during COVID we're allowed to like meet with the team, talk with the team. We could, lift but it had to be done outside and we could do drills that did not involve a ball (laughs) so it (laughs) was very it was very we did a lot of like mental work it kind of like you know i had my whole program like set on what i wanted to do in the off season and once all these rules came down it's totally like had to throw everything out the window and just kind of figure it out on the fly and it it definitely did hurt us that first year, but it hurt everybody. Um, but it kind of like, it basically delayed what I wanted to do by a year with my program. Yo, just thinking about it, like the, I remember the, the COVID year was really interesting because at the same time, it, it was kind of really good in terms of like mental practice and mental game awareness. So some of the things you, you kind of mentioned, that idea that a lot of yeah. coaches maybe hadn't thought much about before. And during that COVID year, it's kind of, it was kind of like a pause. Like you couldn't really do much. Uh, right. Obviously the spring of that year before you were hired, you couldn't do anything because everything got shut down. And so a lot of coaches kind of dove into like, okay, what are some, what are some things that I haven't been doing or maybe could be doing? And I know the mental practice, mental game, whatever people want to call it, mental conditioning even became a really, it like accelerated the growth of that like tenfold. Yeah. Whereas before, even among a lot of like coaching circles, it was almost thought of as like, uh, like, Oh, you, you do mental practice. Like that's silly. Right. Yeah. It, like it, things really changed, I think. And especially in baseball around that time. Right. Right. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much what we did. The hard part about that though, was that I was going into a new program where the yeah. players didn't know who I was and they had never really done any of that before me. And I could tell as I was doing it, the buy-in was very, very low. Mm-hmm. And that was, that was the challenging aspect of it was like, well, this is all we can do. And I know you guys don't trust me yet, but this is what we're going to do because it's the only thing we can do. And it really did take about a year for that team to, to really buy in and trust what I was doing and 
feel like I was finally making sense. <laughs> what kinds of things were you guys trying to implement for, for mental stuff at that time? Well, we were, I mean, it was basically across the board. I mean, we were yeah. tr- trying to look at um, just the mental parts of the game, just breaking the game down. And we were doing a lot of, you know, heads up baseball stuff too. Mm-hmm. But we were doing things that were different. I just come at the the game a lot different than how my predecessor uh, did. And he was very successful at Carmont before me. And we just have different philosophies and and the players just didn't fully believe in what I was selling. And whether that was base running or, or hitting philosophy or even pitching philosophy, you know, we were going over all that stuff. And, and I could just tell that there was, you know, it was very stop and start um, with that group. But, but we made it work. So when you, you took over, obviously, the, that's kind of where my, my first thoughts go to. Like, okay, in a normal year, you know, someone takes over a, a new program, they're a, a new face in the program. It's not like an assistant coach was promoted or something like that. So you got brand new person in the building. You know, what are your first steps towards creating relationships with kids? But then, like, you're coming in at a really bizarre time where, like you said, there's only, there's only so much you can do. And I feel like so much of that relationship building is done just – through having practices and trainings and stuff where you're like talking with kids on the side and get to know kids. But the COVID thing really, I don't know, probably really affected that process. Yeah, it was, it was really hard to do that. Cause we, we had to be in pods. Yeah. So I had my own too. pod. Yeah. I, so we were in pods and also varsity and JV could not intermingle. Mm. And so I had my pod, which was basically outfielders and catchers for varsity. And then there was an infielder pod for varsity. And then there you had your JV pods. And I wasn't really allowed to go and hang out with the other pods. So the players didn't really know who I was. Like, at least JV players and half of the varsity players didn't really know who I was until tryouts for the most part. And I would kind of like hang around and like, maybe work on the field a little bit during one of the other pods, but I really wasn't allowed to, to intermingle with the, with the players at time. So it made it definitely very challenging and, and uh, yeah, a little bit, a little bit harder to get full buy-in and build relationships. When you came in where the, did a lot of the assistant coaches from before stay, or were you also having to get a whole new staff on top of all that? whole new staff we except for one yeah we had one who who came back who uh ended up being our head jv coach and he's been awesome so what was your process then coming in clean as a new guy you obviously need to find people you trust if you have to pot them up and you can't really interact with them so what'd you do to find people well it was kind of an interesting situation because the the rival school um that i was actually coaching at Mm-hmm. Um, the head coach was going to step down and we knew that going in and he was going to step down because his wife was pregnant and his wife was actually expected to deliver uh, sometime in April of the COVID year. And when that happened, I was going to be the interim head coach at this rival high school. Mm-hmm. And we hired a JV head coach that year who was a buddy of mine and his staff were all people I knew and they were running basically what I wanted to have run 
um, for JV, at least offensively, because I was running the offense for that rival high school. And so then COVID didn't COVID happened. And so I obviously did not become the interim head coach that season. And uh, I didn't get the job when that coach stepped down. And so when I got hired at Carlmont, I basically brought everybody who was at the rival high school with me to Carlmont. <laughs> so I had this whole staff just come with me and uh, we made, we made that work pr- pretty well, but that was, is very, is it, it was a very fluid and interesting situation how that all happened. I mean, there were a lot of like, like multiple people, <laughs> multiple people kind of went on a carousel due to what happened with, with that whole situation. It's kind of interesting to watch. Yeah, it's crazy. I imagine. So you get, you get through that first year. <laughs> I, I remember up here in Oregon, that 20, I guess it would be the spring of 2021 season. We had like a shortened season. I think we played something like 15 or 18 games. There wasn't playoffs or anything. It was just kind of a bizarre year. But then, you know, that that season ends. So 2021 spring ends. You're getting to the offseason. Now you have time to really probably reflect back and then also probably prepare to implement the full, I don't know, what to call it, full system. I don't know, whatever you want to call it, uh, where finally it's like, okay, we can start really being this the, the program that I want our program to become. Um, so when you, you kind of finished that first spring and you, you had time to kind of reflect and maybe think forward, what were some of the changes or some of the, the I don't know, thought processes that you wanted to, to implement or fix or get better at? Like, what were your big reflections at the end of that first spring? Well, the biggest thing was being allowed to be together as a, as a program. Yeah whether in uh, the team room for chalk talks or in the weight room. And that was the biggest, honestly, that was the biggest thing. And that was, that was such a huge part of what I kind of sold myself as in interviews um, as a head coach and wasn't able to do that my first year. And so being able to do that and having team workouts, having team chalk talk, or not even team, but program workouts, program chalk, having JV and varsity lift together, having JV and varsity in the team room together, understanding what the program was about, understanding what the philosophies were um, from top to bottom. That was the biggest thing um, that I wanted to implement for my second year. And and that's what we did. And we, we kind of, because we now had this time together, I was able to really get through to them. Like, this is, this is what's going to define us. And these are the things that that I want this program to look like, but also getting player input and seeing, okay, what what is the program's goals? You know, what are what do you guys want to do? Okay, and now what do you guys think is a fair punishment if we don't if if someone doesn't Mm -hmm. come to practice on time? Right. And so really letting them kind of dictate to what this program is going to look like uh, for the next year plus. And so getting everybody on board that way was just tremendous in that that second fall. You got an example of like one of the things the players chose specifically? So whether it was what to do when you're late or something else? Yeah, so we we had, uh, if you were late, I believe it was 25 push-ups and five 90-foot sprints. But if you were late the second time, then you would so if you were late a second time within the week so our week goes monday through saturday if you were late a second time then you wouldn't be playing in the next game 
and that was a rule that the players decided. And we ran into it <laughs> with a starting pitcher. No, <laughs> um, before before our uh, I want our third league game. I, I was going to say it was our first league game, but it was our yeah. third league game, and it was a big game. And uh, I kind of let them make the call, and they stuck to it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you know the I, I like the ninety foot sprint thing because I think sometimes uh, you know a lot of coaches get real deep into the well, just go run. And it's yeah. like, well, you know, at least here, ninety feet, we're getting better. Like we're doing. This is realistic, right. realistic baseball movement we're going to have throughout games and practices and stuff like that. So I know one of the the things that you're passionate about, obviously, you know, probably goes along with your background and, and what you do for your career, but player health, but more specifically when you're looking at like high school baseball in terms of the off season, especially um, workouts and how those function, how those interact, and how those positively impact kids on the field. Um, we, we've started finally being much better about getting in the weight room as a team. And we're seeing huge changes um, in a, mm-hmm. a very short period of time. And it's, 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 I'm frustrated at myself for like past years at how little we, we emphasize the weight room and getting in there. Cause it's like, man, what a low hanging fruit this is. So um, yeah. you, you get the opportunity then that, that second off season to start probably doing the stuff you want to do. Um, in the strength and conditioning realm. So what were some of those things that you guys you guys started implementing? I feel like it changes every single year um, yeah. as I kind of learn different things and, and learn what I like and what I dislike. And, and we, we spend more time this year in the weight room than we have in years past. Um, and the changes that we've seen um, – you know, are, are huge. And I really see big changes with, uh, the JV players and, Mm -hmm. and seeing, seeing these freshmen who have never touched a weight before in their lives. Um, you know, we do a competition in January before tryouts. We, We basically call it our, our winter Olympics and every player gets drafted and, the freshmen get drafted last, of course, but we're measuring, we're measuring power, we're measuring <laughs> strength, um, absolute strength, and some of the number. Like, last year was our first year doing it, and some of the numbers these freshmen put up surprised me, and I know if they surprised me, they surprised the players, and seeing some of these guys who, like I said, you know, have little to no experience lifting weights before to put up some of these, you know, bench number, squat number, deadlift number, what have you is pretty remarkable. And it, it, you know, our, our JV team last year was for the most part, freshmen. Um, Most of the team, the starters were freshmen and it was one of the best seasons our JV team has ever had. I mean, I think they went 21 and five, something like that. mostly basically a freshman team and i don't think that happens without being in the weight room as much as we were in the off season and during the season and i think that also carries over the next year the year after that as these players go through the program it just makes our program even more successful is it something that you continue once like the spring season starts do you you continue carving out time for it we do we so we change the workouts a little bit um we basically go so this year we're doing four days a week in the off season 
during the season, we'll take that down in half and we'll go twice a week. Um, it does take away from practice time because the way our rules work, um, mm-hmm. you're basically allowed two and a half hours, but we go about half hour workout. So we're still on the field for two hours. Um, but we do that and, and we actually lift our league games are Wednesday, Fridays, and our kids have late start on Wednesdays. They start around 10 o'clock on Wednesdays. So we actually lift in the morning on Wednesdays before games. And we do kind of a, a quick twitch workout on, on Wednesdays. And I think that makes a big difference as well. And we're kind of getting them ready. You know, we, we, we get their adrenaline pumping a little bit and then before they have to sit in class, um, but get them moving around. And I think that has led to, uh, some more success on Wednesdays for sure. Well, I also think we also do wait, uh, late start Wednesdays in our district. And I think one of the things that I like about the morning aspect uh, of getting them out is it creates that routine that they have on all the other days. I think one of the mm-hmm. weird things for me has always been like, um, like on a Friday, if we don't have school for whatever reason, but we still have a game, it's always different. Um, the kids get to sleep in it just their routine is totally off they don't have the normal like here's where i'm in school here's the you know when i'm gonna eat lunch at this time like the whole routine gets thrown off and so i think there's also probably part of it too by doing that wednesday morning thing you're probably also really helping them stick to the routine that they have every single other day and if it's a game day i think that's all the more uh important i guess yeah that's a good point and and you know i try to be conscious of of sleep and recovery mm-hmm. as well for these guys. So we, I try not to lift them too early and give them maybe an hour longer of sleep than they usually get. But that's that's a fair point. And I think looking at it for Saturday games, you know, I didn't even really think about that too. But I always remember Saturday games when I was a, a player in high school that I didn't like Saturday games because my routine was off. And as a coach, I don't like it personally because my routine is off too. Um, yeah but I didn't even really think about it for my players that Saturday games. Yeah. Routines are totally off. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a good one. When you look up the Carmont, uh, baseball Twitter account and you look at like some of the workouts you guys do, cause you guys post yeah. a decent amount of video. Um, one of the first things I notice, like when you click on it, you're expe- like, I'm expecting to see, you know, okay, there's going to be a bunch of guys swatting and doing bench press and you may do those things. But when you first click and, and look at your videos on there, the stuff in the weight room isn't the first thing I expect to see. It's, it's a lot of, looks to be a lot of movement activity. It looks a lot of guys doing like a lot of things at the exact same time. Can you kind of delve into that? Where'd you get that from? What is, what are they doing in those videos? So that's uh, some stuff that we started doing this year. Um, I picked that up from Dr. Ismail Gallo. Uh, He's a PT down in Los Angeles and he runs um, movement flow. And so he, he, he invented movement flows and it's specifically geared towards baseball. And a lot of D1 programs have recently signed on to, to incorporate those. And so I, I believe I was one of the first ones because I saw him on Twitter randomly. I don't really know how, um, but I believe I was one of the first ones to kind of reach out to him and, and say, Hey, I want to, I like what you're doing. And it's, it's based off of um, DNS principles, which is, dynamic neuromuscular stabilization, which if you're a sports chiropractor, you probably know what that is. But if you're not, then you may not know what that is. Um, 
And so I kind of saw that. I was like, oh, this makes total sense. And so contacted him and and I text him from time to time now and and I show him videos and he shows me videos of him of some of his pro guys doing it. And so that's mostly what we're doing. So we're going off a progression um, that Dr. Gallo has created and we're trying to get them more athletic to move more athletically, which will then um, be able to translate better on the field. So, so the idea behind it is, yeah, you can, I mean, we do squat heavy. Don't get me wrong. Like we squat heavy. We, we deadlift heavy. We, we even bench and, the idea behind this stuff though, is to get what you're doing to translate to the field. And so I use it kind of as a screening process too, because I see, I can see which players struggle with some things and, and which don't. And, and really it makes them more athletic. And so if we can have more athletic players, we're going to have a more athletic team. We're going to probably be the better team on the field. And, that's what I tell my JV players when they come into the program is that I tell them, you know, if you guys want to know what we're looking for in tryouts, I'm not looking for the guy who hits a double in the inner squad during tryouts. I mean, that's great if you do that, but what I'm really looking for is who's the most athletic kid out there. Who's making athletic movements, whether that's on the mound in the box on the field. And that's, what's going to tell me where, where this player is going to go. He might not have a great day today at tryouts, but I can see that he's very athletic. He's probably going to have more great days than bad ones overall. And so that's what this whole program is for, is, is just getting more athletic on the field. Yeah, and you, you'd mentioned, obviously, the athletic part, the movement flow part, and then you a little while ago, and you're talking about Wednesdays, you talked about how those workouts tend to be more like on game days, kind of a quick twitch thing. And that, I think, pretty naturally flows into something that I would assume you're very passionate about based on some of the numbers I saw, um, which is which is base running, stealing bases, of course, but but just base running in general. Um, where did you get, we'll get into what it is, but where did you get a lot of your like base running stuff or philosophy from? How did that all kind of come together for you? So when I took those two years off from coaching in Boston, I don't know, again, I don't remember how some of this stuff, how I get into some of this stuff. I probably go into like deep Twitter and online <laughs> <Probably>. dives <laughs> late at night. And yeah. uh, somehow I found the ABCA. And mm-hmm. from there, I've, I started finding podcasts and I started finding blogs and Eric Cressy was just up the road from me in in Boston. And I started finding all these different things. And and really during those two years, when I had stepped away, I used it to research and I knew I was going to start coaching at some point. And I didn't know whether I was going to be in the private sector. I didn't know if I was going to be coaching for a school again. I didn't, I didn't know. So I just kind of, you know, accumulated all this knowledge and when I joined the ABCA, I started watching their videos and stuff. And, and so I came across, um, some different people doing some different things. And that's really when I started thinking about, would this work in a high school program or not? And, um, I saw, I can't remember his name from Wright state. He's with the Yankees now. Uh, Matt Tallarico. Yeah, Tallarico. I saw Tallarico's stuff. Um, I saw his presentation at the ABCA, and that's kind of what kickstarted everything. And then I read 
um, a base running book, which kind of said a lot of the same, same stuff. And so then when I got back into the Bay area and started running the offense for that team, I started experimenting. And that's when we, we started learning, okay, will this stuff work? Will the players buy into it? Uh, how, how to teach it the right way. And, and I knew just, just kind of looking at stats um, from the high schools in the area that teams weren't taking advantage of base stealing or base running uh, enough. And, and I saw, you know, for a high school team to swipe 40 bags, this just seems like, like you said, like low hanging fruit, like just, just steal more bags, you'll score more runs. And high school, it's, you know, it's hard to be quick to the plate. It's hard for a catcher to throw runners out consistently. And, and so we, my first year there, we doubled our, our base running, our base steals or our, our stolen bases. Sorry. Um, and, uh, we basically doubled, we were on pace during COVID to double it again. And so I knew this stuff was working. And so then when I got to Carmont, I just brought it with me. I think you, you kind of mentioned it right there. One of the things that I think a lot of high school kids have to understand, and once they understand it, it makes stealing bases so easy and so natural is is what you kind of mentioned. Like you have to have a – in order to get thrown out, right, you've got to get a, a pitcher who's got to be quick to the plate and good at holding you, right, varying their looks. You have right. to have a, a pitch that's catchable and throwable and a good catcher who can make those two things happen. And then at the even if those two things go perfectly, you've got to have someone catch the ball at the other end and lay down a tag. And even there, there's a ton of times in high school baseball, I'm sure you see, where a kid's beat – but you put a good slide on and the guy misses the tag and you're safe if you have an umpire who's paying attention. And so like right. you've got to have three or four things go really perfectly to get thrown out. It's like, I don't have to necessarily be the fastest guy. I just need to understand that everything they have to do right to beat me. And if one of those things doesn't go well, I win, even if I'm not the fastest guy in the room. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's uh, high school is the perfect time to steal a lot of bases because of yeah. all those things and and how difficult it is for, you know, three different players to to be able to accomplish all those things on the same play, and uh, you know we've we've started to this year we've started to understand, you know, we don't have to do we don't have to steal a certain way mm-hmm. every single time, and so we actually we have options like you know, like most teams have options on. Okay, we can, if you read this, you basically, they have three keys. And so the three keys will tell them, am I going to steal it this way? Am I going to steal it that way? Or I'm going to steal it this other way. And if you don't hit on any of those, okay, you're probably not going to steal. But even so, like we have different options for different situations with, if we have a guy who's quick to the plate, then we're going to change what we're doing. If we, do we have a, catcher whose pop time is low okay then we need to change what we're doing do we have or what's what's the player speed right is the player speed fast slow average and we're going to f- figure out what we need to do to be to put ourselves in the best chance to number one steal the bag and number two also not give it away that we're going so we have different different keys Seems like a, a freshman comes into your program uh, maybe hasn't doesn't have any familiarity with you or Carmont high school and um 
but he's here now and he's a Carlmont baseball player and uh you know he's it's time for him to learn the system what are some of like core tenets or or things that he's gonna learn uh whether it's like the type of lead you're gonna take things you're gonna look for like what are some of the big things that that kid's gonna learn in his first year or two inside the program for for stealing bases he's definitely gonna learn how to how to analyze a situation on a which way he's going to steal second base. And then he's going to learn, he's going to learn how to steal third base properly. Yeah. And so the biggest, so in our chalk talks, we go over all this stuff and, and they have to take notes in, in their notebook. Um, but really the way, the way I like doing it is I like having the players, make the decision on their own. I like them to have the freedom to do what they feel confident in doing. And so based off of that, you know, they're going to be more confident doing something a certain way. And that's what I want them to do. And we talked about this the other week is we said, you know, if, you know, you need to, if you're going to steal a bag, you need to know that you're going to steal the bag. If you're going to steal it, if the first thought that goes through your mind is, Oh, I think I can steal this bag. Shut it down. (laughs) Shut it down. You need to know that you're going to steal that bag. And so as far as like, what is a freshman going to learn? A freshman is going to learn, you know, the techniques behind, you know, base running, but he's also going to learn how to be a baseball player and, and be someone who, who can respond to different situations successfully. I think that's one of the unique things about baseball and, and some other sports similar to it, where there is a lot of time involved, right? It's not, mm-hmm. it's not a, it's not a constant action sport. And so you have a ton of time. And one of the really unique things too, is you have the gift of watching your teammates, right? And so like, I, you know, right. I'm on the, in the dugout, I'm not up to bat for eight more hitters or whatever. Um, you know, four or five guys will get on base between the times I get to the plate again. And it's like, I have, I have so many, opportunities to like learn and take in information and evaluate it. And I think one of the things, the big differences for a lot of kids when they get into high school for if they're going to become a good player or not is how they use that time. And are they paying attention and are they learning something when all this action's happening that doesn't involve them? Because like you said, when you get on base, if your first thoughts, like I I might be able to do it. Well, you've you've already lost, like there's no chance at that point, right? Like there's all this information that we need to have gathered by that point. Right. It's, you know, it's, it's funny when, uh, I was a very cerebral player when I played and I would study pitchers and I, you know, I read the science of hitting by Ted Williams and that really affected me. And I love this year. It was kind of weird. I was able to actually be in the dugout for a lot of JV games. Nice. And I love being able to do that and kind of talking through different situations or like, and, and JV, it's funny how just going from JV to varsity in high school, how different the speed of the game is. Yeah, it is. And so for these JV players, it's huge for them to see what they need to see on JV. Because if you're not seeing it on JV, you're not going to see it on varsity and being able to talk through them. Like, look, you see that you see how he's tipping his pitches right here, or Hey, you see his tell when he's going to the plate how he moves back, how he rocks back before he lifts his leg up or whatever the case may be. 
being able to talk to them and show them, hey, this is this is this pattern. This is what you need to key on. You need to see this. You need to be looking for this every time. Look, this guy's looking to second base one look every single time. Why are we not stealing third base every single time we get on there? And and being able to have those conversations in the dugout. Um, and it's it's hard, you know, in varsity, you know, I'm I'm coaching third base. I'd mm-hmm. rather I'd prefer to be in the dugout if I could, but I'm coaching third base. And it's the same thing with our JV head coach, is he's coaching third base. And there isn't someone to have that conversation with these guys during the game. And, and so I found that huge to be able to have those conversations and really build up the program that way from the JV level. It's, it's fun. Well, and you talked about, you know, the chalk talks a couple of times you've mentioned those, obviously, you know, like you're saying during a game, we don't always have the time or, or ability to, to have those conversations. So maybe front loading them ends up being the best way to do it. You mentioned you, you have them have notebooks. Is this something that they, they keep throughout the season? Like, can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, that's, that's the plan is to keep them through the season. This is, we had chalk talks last year and I didn't require notebooks last year. So this is the first year we're doing it, but essentially what's going to become the idea is that it's a notebook for the chalk talks, but once the season starts, um, I mean, we do have chalk talks during the season too, and we do scattering reports on guys, but so they'll take some notes on that stuff, but it's also their hitting log. So when they have an at bat, you know, they, they see, okay, what was, where were the pitches? Um, what was, what, what was the outcome? Um, what did I do? Well, what can I improve upon? Um, so that way they can they can use that as their hitting notebook during the season as well, which is something that I've been trying to to do. I, I asked them, I didn't ask them, I I told them it was a good idea if they started doing it. We had a couple of players, a couple of high level players who did that last year, um, but now it's something that I want the entire program doing is is charting their at bats. And how cool is that? Like if you, I know we don't nobody likes the word slump and we all talk about how of course it's, it's not there's not really such a thing as a slump of course and all that but eventually as a player sometimes there's points where you feel like that and it what a gift to be able to have a hitting log and maybe potentially go back into it and be okay there's that stretcher i was doing real well you know what, mm-hmm. what types of things was i writing down looking for feeling all that sort of stuff and mm-hmm. then how can i like replicate that in practice and make myself feel like i'm going to be successful again because i think a lot of times especially in high school, you get kids who, you know, they struggle and they just keep trying harder, which ironically makes them do worse. And yeah. you just kind of get into this spiral of, of darkness and sadness that you, you might never come out of because the season's so short. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I wish, I wish I had coaches who told me about this stuff when I was playing, um, going through slumps and I didn't really know what to do. And yeah, I would start pressing harder or I would, or I'd give in, right. You start mm-hmm. saying, Oh, yeah. I, I just suck. Mm-hmm. That's like the worst thing for, for a player to say is <laughs> yeah. that you, you suck. Um, and so I didn't really have any direction when I was, when I was something. And I remember I had, I was playing semi-pro and I was playing on a team and uh, just, uh, I don't know what it was, but like for three weeks, like I just, I, I basically couldn't hit the ball and wasn't having any fun on this team and found myself on the bench and, and ended up getting an opportunity from another team to play on their team. I don't know why they wanted me to play after how badly I was playing, um, but switched to this team. And at that point, 
everything changed and just switching teams and ended up leading um, the league in home runs just from switching. I mean, if I was playing on the other team, there's no way that would have happened. And just being able to kind of, okay, reset. And that's all it was. It was just a reset. And, and that's just a valuable lesson to learn is, you know, you got to take every at bat as if it's a reset. You know, every at bat is a new at bat. Don't worry about what happened in the past, good or bad. Every pitch is a new pitch. And, and that's really what we try to, to get across to these players. That's one of the hardest parts too, even when you know that's true to, to stay within that mindset. It's really difficult because it's so such a mental challenge to allow yourself to believe that even like sometimes you even have to lie to yourself to make it happen, but there's just, it's such a difficult thing to help high school kids understand is that it's, it is so true, even though it doesn't feel like it. And at the end of the day, everyone's going to look at the stats for the whole game. And at the end of the season, they're going to look at your stats for the season. And it's really hard to separate it all out and be like, Nope, this was one at bat. And then, okay, now this is one at bat. Or even, even when, like you mentioned, getting down pitch by pitch, it's a really difficult thing for anybody to do in any endeavor, right? But then also for high school kids to do that within a sport where, you know, you've got your family watching, maybe your girlfriend or boyfriend's there, whatever it might be. Like, there's just all these added pressures that you feel. And, you, you know, you, it's natural to bring whatever you had last at bat with you to this new at bat. Yeah, it's really hard. And, and, we're lucky enough where I actually have a, a pretty good friend who's a mental skills coach. Hmm. And he actually did a, a Zoom with our team two weeks ago, I believe, a week and a half ago. And he works with several of our players one on one. And having him come in and do a talk or two talks every year, I think makes such a huge difference for these players. And he's just a phenomenal guy anyway. Um, but that's, but that's been huge. Having someone with more expertise than myself to come in and talk to the team about, okay, this is what you guys need to think. You know, when you come up to the, to the plate, you need to think that you are the best player in the world at that moment. And if you don't think that, that's when you're going to start to struggle. And, you know, that's just one snippet of what of what he says, but he's been he's been awesome with our guys and and if if anyone is looking for a mental skills coach reach out to me he does a lot of zoom meetings too but he's in a lot of remote training but he's he's a phenomenal guy ray santiago well and i think anytime you can get a different voice to even if it's the same stuff you would have said like you know if you heard him say that thing you know do that for 10 years in a row you'd probably be able to replicate that you know 20 minutes half hour an hour but having a different voice with our kids, I think, is so important because whether we believe it or not, they get so tired of us, and they need oh, other yeah. people to. They need other people saying, even if it's the same stuff we tell them. And you know, it happens all the time where it's like, uh, I don't know, like a kid goes plays, you know, summer ball somewhere for a private coach or, or some other team, and you know, then the you communicate with them, and they're like, "Well, the kids start doing really well. This is what I had them do." And in your mind, you're like, "That's the exact same thing I've been asking them to do forever." But sometimes yeah. you, they just they need somebody else to hear it, like they or to say it. They, it can't be you all the time. And so, one of the great gifts I think going back to like the COVID thing again is that 
um, Zoom got a lot better <laughs> and our willingness to have Zoom type meetings and things really grew because now all of a sudden, like you can connect to guys who are thousands of miles away and have them come talk to your team and say some of the things that you'd love to say yourself, but maybe it'd be more valuable coming from a different voice. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's not uncommon for me to be talking to a team and and I can kind of go down the line, like, okay, this kid's checked out, this kid's checked out, this kid's checked out. Um, so yeah, having different voices is 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 completely important, and and just keeping what we say kind of short and sweet also makes a big difference. Um, whether that's you know pregame, postgame, or in practice, uh, just trying to not have us you know, kind of drone on and on and on. And I remember when I was an assistant at the old school and the players would come up to me and and just complain about one of the coaches who took forever after the game in his post-game talks and or even just at practice. And that always stuck with me is that, you know, the kids do tone you out after a certain amount of time. And it doesn't really matter what you say. It could be the most profound thing in the world. But if, you know, it's within a five to 10 minute speech, they're not hearing any of it. And I, we, I've had this conversation with some other people before too. And it's one of the things that um, I tried to change pretty early as a coach too, is, you know, you get done with the game and maybe the game didn't go great. And so you've got this list of things you want to make sure you get out. And at some point you got to ask yourself, is there any, like, is this going to affect any positive change? Me, you know, me talking for 10 minutes after the game about this, or can I wait, uh, take tonight and come up with a list of two or three things to hit on and then build a practice tomorrow that might hit on those things. Because I think so many of us feel like, because we're coached that we need, we've got to tell them all this stuff. And it's like, they, they don't, it's not that they don't care. It's just that they understand already. Like they get it. Like they don't, they don't need this whole long spiel that you're about to give them. Yeah. And, you know, I've listened to your podcast before and I've listened to other podcasts where guests have said something similar. And that's, that's what I came into Carmont doing was, okay, yeah, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have my notes from the game and see, you know, where things went wrong if we lost. And, and if, if we won, you know, what are things we can improve upon? Yeah. Sure. And they don't really need to hear that after the game. They're either really excited that they won or they're really down that they lost. And let's take, you know, a couple minutes the next day at practice to kind of go over, you know, what happened and why and where can we improve and kind of let them let them guide the conversation a little bit. And that is one thing I wanted to get in with you too is is because um, you had mentioned earlier when you were going to that uh, first, I guess, kind of your second offseason, I guess. But um, when we're going back talking about the players and how they kind of were part of that conversation in terms of um, what are the goals, you even mentioned like punishments or consequences for certain things. So when you finish a game, let's say, and you're going into tomorrow's practice, are you – I don't know how to ask this question, but like how, I guess how involved are players in, in having discussions in terms of what games and practices should look like in the program? If that makes sense, I feel like it's a horrible, horribly worded question, but hopefully you know what I'm, I'm trying to ask. <laughs> uh, I would say 
they have they have input um for the most part you know i i write up the practice program and share it with them on our our school communication app and so they they know what, what they're doing each day but you know i do ask them you know if we're trying something new if we're experimenting with something new different drill different competition what have you you know i'll ask them did you guys like that you guys not like that like be honest and so you know at the end of that practice or something uh, you know i'll ask you know if you guys like it we'll do it again we'll put it in the practice plan again whatever so they they have some input as, as to what we're doing um in practice that way i don't know if that quite answers your question but with games um they yeah lead me a little bit more on, on what you mean by input for the games like as far as um yeah what do you mean by uh, that pr probably more like pre-game stuff like how are we going to approach um i don't know like pre-game hitting what are we going to do for our pre-game routine or you know because gotcha. the the, you know, the traditional thing, like, you know, let's show up, let's warm up, let's play catch, let's hit, uh, that sort of yeah. thing. So, like, what, how much input do they have on game day stuff or if maybe they feel like things need to be changed or, or how things have changed over the last couple of years for you in terms of how pregame stuff might go? Yeah, I, I basically give them options on what to do. I just want them to be active. And, you know, it depends on, you know, if we're in a – 95 degree day it's going to be a little bit different yeah no kidding. but yeah but um i mostly want them to be moving around doing some whether that's defensively offensively mental training you know what have you um and they they have some autonomy on on what they what they can do you know i i give them heavy balls i give them wiffle balls i give them small wiffle balls um with the stick bats you know they they have different options that they can do so it's kind of weird. We're not allowed really to hit at all um, before games. We're not allowed to hit in a cage or anything unless it's a non-league game or a, a playoff game. So that kind of limits us on what we're, we're able to do. And then, yeah, with like pre-game routine, like infield, outfield, like, yeah, we kind of – it. I feel like ours kind of changes as the season goes along based on what the players like. And so – trying to keep it upbeat, trying to keep everybody moving. Um, you know, what type of throws do they like to make? Uh, trying to get them kind of amped up before the game and show their skills off a little bit. So they do uh, They do run things a little bit. When we get into, like, practices, um, if, if I were to, like, have a couple of your players on today, if I called them up and I was like, hey, tell me about what practices are like. Tell me about – what you feel like your high school program does that's maybe unique, that's maybe different, that maybe is, is special to Carlmont that maybe other programs aren't quite as in tune to. Uh, maybe what are some of the things that you like? What are some of the things that are fun? If I were to ask them that, what are some of the responses that some of your guys would probably offer up? Some of them would probably say that they've never practiced like this before. <laughs> um, but in my mind, like what we do isn't, that completely different you know i to me i'm just doing what i think makes sense and yeah it's different than how i practice in high school but i feel like that's just a natural progression sure and you know when i played it was you'd play catch you'd then uh you hit on the fields and then 
take ground balls. And if you're a pitcher, you threw a pen. And that was basically what you would do every single day at practice. You do the same, same thing every single day at practice. And I know that exists a little bit still today, especially in, uh, in, in the area that I'm in a lot of old school coaches and, and a lot of that, you know, there's a lot of validity to some of that stuff. And our practice kind of basically has a routine of we're going to move around. We're going to, we're going to throw, we're going to do some type of base running activity every single day. We're going to go into an individual portion. Um, So outfielders will be doing something defensively, you know, infielders, catchers, pitchers. And we'll probably after that, we'll go into some type of team competition um, where there's consequences and rewards for the type of situation that I'm trying to simulate. Hmm. And then from there, we'll kind of, it depends on the day, we'll either go into, you know, our, our hitting on the field, our high velo off the machine in the cage. Maybe we'll do some live at bats now that we have a new cage up. Um, and then this year we're going to start implementing um, some of the stuff from Mississippi State, the drill series from Mississippi State from it's Ron Wolf. Um, and so kind of incorporating different things. And so I think – you know, if you look at our how we practice on a day-to-day basis, it's probably very different than what you would see, you know, our rival high school doing. But I think it's probably pretty similar to what more of the college programs are doing. And so we kind of try to teach we try to teach them up or coach them up a little bit towards the next level, towards like a JC or you know, I've come and watched our local JC uh, College of San Mateo, who just won state football yeah. championship. <laughs> um, <Saw> that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, I watch, you know, I watch their practices and the coach who's been there for a long time, Doug Williams has been super successful and, you know, I see what they do and I try to incorporate some of that in our practices and I, I kind of try to run it more, more college style. And I would say that's the biggest, biggest difference. And I'm not afraid to kind of experiment a little bit. So if I see something that, you know, maybe, the drill's not working quite how I thought it would work out or certain players moving a certain way that doesn't look right to me. We'll change the drill right then and there to make it so that the outcome that I want happens. Or if, you know, we'll change the situation to, to fit, you know, how I want it to be in, in a game and, and kind of, it's basically like mini games, which I'm sure is pretty, pretty common now. Um, But that's a lot of what we do. And we try to challenge the players and we try to, we try to get some failure so that they have to overcome some failure and also improve, not that they're just staying stagnant throughout the whole season. Yeah, I think that, that makes a lot of sense to me and, and the way my brain tends to work. And it kind of goes back along lines too of you mentioning earlier how you'd you you would take their feedback too of like if you just mentioned, you know, doing some sort of drill or competition, if it's not working, changing it on the spot, but then also having the I don't know if humility is the right word, but it might be to then afterwards be like, hey, you know, is this something we should keep doing? Did this work? Did you guys like this? Did you not? Did you hate it? Was this terrible? Was this a waste of time? Um, I think a lot of us get into this mindset of like, it's a natural mindset to get into of like, well, I'm the coach and I I know what's best for my program. And that's true in a lot of in a lot of (laughs) regards. Right. But there's also times where it's like, well, 
ultimately there are kids involved and like they they probably have some good feedback to give to us too. And I think having the humility to be like, you know what, I'm going to cross that off or, you know what, I'm going to make some changes to that next time we do it and try it again a different way. Um, I don't know. All of that makes a lot of sense to me because I think like you said, a lot of the more quote unquote old school stuff is just very, very scripted, very basic. And I think our brains, especially as if you think back to how we were as teenagers, like our brains crave variation and change and competition and fun, honestly. Right. And I used to work in a, in a restaurant, um, actually really close to Carmont high school. And, and, uh, I feel like coaching is very similar to a restaurant. I don't know if you've seen the bear, um, on, on Hulu and FX, but to me that kind of grabbed me as far as like what coaching is like. And, you know, your, uh, your customers dictate what your menu is going to look like. Hmm. You know, the chef could come out with something that's totally awesome, but, the customers hate it. Well, you're not going to keep it on, on the menu if that's the case. Right. And you're constantly tweaking things and changing things here and there. And, and even my wife will make something uh, for dinner and she'll say, okay, should we keep that on the menu? Yeah. And so then it's on the menu. So then if we have something in practice that we like and we try something new, should we keep that in the practice routine? Yeah. Okay. Do we need to tweak? Do we need to add some different ingredients here and there? Yeah, we can we can change up a little bit of what we're doing with this drill or or this situation or competition or what have you, and and away we go. We kind of just try to get better and better each time. Well, I think that's what makes coaching such a fun endeavor, right? Is that you have the ability to to be a chef in a lot of different ways, but also understand, like in your analogy of like what the what the people coming to eat want, and what works and what doesn't work, and what the finished product looks like. Uh, man, it's been fun talking to you. I, I, I think there's a lot. If if this was a baseball only podcast, I would pressure you a lot more on like your three keys to base running. I think I'd try to get more into how we're stealing third base and all this stuff. And um, <laughs> I, I, I think I think a lot of that stuff is so fascinating because for me, base running has been kind of my focus the last couple of years, kind of like you talked about that journey you went on through the ABCA and blogs and Cressy, then to Tallarico and so forth. And um, it's just really fascinating. I think it goes to show how cool sports are because within every sport, like there's obviously different parts to them and you can really attack different parts and go super deep down these rabbit holes and find this really low hanging fruit that makes your team really successful. And uh, it's just a lot of fun and I appreciate you doing it. Um, you know, I, you probably know the drill. I, there's probably something we missed. Uh, there's probably uh, more you have to say. So I'll kind of hand the mic to you one more time. And if, you know, there's anything else you wanted to get into, um, give you a chance to do that right here. I would, I would just add that, you know, when I was uh, a JV coach at my old high school, I kind of thought that, you know, we were successful. We won, we won three league titles in four years. And I kind of thought, oh, this is, this is easy. Like this is, <laughs> and the varsity team wasn't <laughs> successful. And, and I just thought, Oh, I, I know it all. Like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm winning these championships with the JV team and varsity isn't winning. And I must, I must know more than most people. <laughs> and, yep. and, you know, you kind of look back <laughs> at that and you realize, Oh, I only thought that cause I didn't know anything at all. 
and you start to realize that the more the more you dive into this stuff and the more you learn the less you know and i would just encourage people you know whether you're listening to this podcast and listening to other podcasts you know just try to try to challenge yourself as much as you can and you know i'm always kind of looking for the next thing and and i wouldn't have found uh, the baseball flows from dr gallo if i wasn't chasing the next thing and i don't know and it kind of seems like it happens every year where there's this next thing and the players think i'm crazy you know coming into this <laughs> you know every season with something new and oh what's this guy doing this year all right um but it seems like there's one big thing that I implement in the program every single year. And it doesn't happen if, if, you know, you don't look for new things to learn about. And so that would kind of be my, my parting little bit of wisdom would be just to, to keep learning, keep plugging away. Don't be afraid to try new things. Don't be afraid to get a little pushback from your players um, because that's, you know, that's where the good stuff is, is when you're pushing your players and you're pushing the envelope and you're trying new things, you know, you really start to understand, you know, what's going to work well and what's not. And, and I'm just excited. I'm excited for the stuff that's going to happen in the next, you know, couple of years for me to see, to see where I can go on, on some of the stuff that I haven't even touched on or learned about yet. So. I'm excited to watch Carl Mont this uh, this spring and and watch your guys' progress as you go. Obviously, huge huge progress from year one to two, and now you've you've got kids who know who you are by now and uh, who trust you uh, pretty good to be able to let you do the things that you're making them do. And I think they start seeing that success on the field, and it, it makes it it makes it really easy to let them trust you. And you know, like you mentioned in year one, they maybe don't trust you because they didn't know you yet. And um, I think it's exciting for you and I, I appreciate you so much for coming on and sharing some of this stuff with me and to listeners and I'll, I'll toss your uh, contact info down in the show notes so people who do want to try to figure out some of that deeper baseball stuff or maybe figure out uh, who uh, the Gallo guy is or who that Santiago guy was or whatever they, whatever connections you might be able to make for them, I'll, they can reach out to you and do that. So uh, appreciate you, man, and, and wish you guys the best this spring and looking forward to talking to you again sometime. Yeah, thanks for having me, Max. Told you you'd like him, man. He's just a dude with a plan. Really enjoyed having Ryan on the show with me. I hope you did too. If you aren't signed up for the weekly newsletter or if you haven't picked up some High School Coaches Club stickers, you should definitely do so. Head on over to highschoolcoachesclub.com to get started. Don't forget to leave a rating or a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening. Most importantly, though, if you found any value at all from this episode or any previous episode, please share this on social media to your followers via email to your fellow coaches or through the old-fashioned word of mouth. doesn't matter how you do it. Just find a way to bring a few more listeners in who might benefit. That's how we all get better, and that's how we grow the club. Huge fist bump to Coach Hamilton for jumping on the call with me. Thanks again to Netting Pros for sponsoring the episode and to you for clicking that play button. If you have any recommendations for people who should be guests on the show, be sure to reach out to me even if that recommendation is you. Follow the club on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at HS Coaches Club. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Max Price and can reach me via email, max at highschoolcoachesclub.com. All right, that's it. That's all I've got. You're awesome. You matter. Thanks for all you do. And as Coach Lee would say, loving you.